Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Q&A Quest, episode 102. I'm your host, Mike AppCK Wheels, and uh, Dave will be here shortly, and also here. Uh, hello, Michael Baker, your man in Japan, Gaijin Monogatari. Hello. All right. Uh, fortunately, due to uh, some stuff last week, we weren't able to record at our normal time, so we couldn't get get you on, so um, play, anything, play anything new since the holidays? Well, I mean, just over the holidays, I've been I've put a couple hours into Xenon Valkyrie Plus on the Vita. Nice. Which a certain person happened to mail me, along with <laughs> two other roguelikes, which I, that I have not touched yet. So, Do you, you want to know the funny part about that? I, I didn't even realize what I was doing until I'd already sent the games out. Yes, the other two games being Sharon the Wanderer 2 for DS Ooh. and Darkest Dungeon. Making for three very different roguelike experiences. Mm. Yeah, It's like a nice buffet of different roguelikes. A buffet that likes to kick you in the teeth. Yes, this is true. Repeatedly. Yeah, I, I was looking at the review for the Switch version, and it mentions things like, oh, the bosses don't come back after you defeat them. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? I mean, how many... I mean, considering all the times I died against the Sinister Sentinel, the alternative first-level boss, I would have really would have really liked if he didn't come back after that. <laughs> uh, good times. Mm-hmm. Quote, quote, unquote, good times. I mean, yeah, uh, it really depends on your definition of good. Um, but, I mean, some games, you really just enjoy dying a lot. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I think that was what, one of the first reviews I saw in GameFAQs for Mega Man Zero 2. <laughs> the, actual, the actual title of the review was, I died, period. A lot. I, all caps, enjoyed it. So, and I could definitely sympathize with that review. Yeah, yeah. But don't worry, Darkest Dungeon is a lot easier. By um, what standard? Uh, by no standard whatsoever. It's pretty brutal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, any game that has a sanity meter. At least you know that it's not going to turn out. At least it's I mean, time-based. I've played Call of Cthulhu before. I know that if you have to have a sanity mechanic, it's not going to be going well for you. <laughs> oh, boy. Mm-hmm. So how about you? What have you been playing? Because I have not actually had a, the free time, the uh, non-quiet free time to listen to last week's podcast yet. Mm. Uh, so lots of Pokemon. Um mm. Pokemon Ultra Sun, Pokemon mm -hmm, Black, Black. Thank you. Uh, Pokemon Black and White. Mm -hmm. Well, I shouldn't say Black and White, just Black, and uh, a little bit of Omega Ruby as well on the side. So, mm -hmm. lots of that. That is a lot of Pokemon. In addition to playing the card game with my son, the card game online, and uh, also so playing Pokemon Tournament with my son. So, um, did your son appreciate the um, the various cards? Uh, yes, he loved loved the cards. Uh, 
need to get need to get a uh, which we call it a Venusaur EX so we can use that Mega you sent me. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, let's see. What else did you send? Um, uh, Xerneas. Xerneas. Yeah. Uh, we traded that to my brother for some cool stuff. So. <laughs> That worked out quite oh, nicely. Let, let your brother know, I actually had two versions of Xerneas EX. Uh, <laughs> the, other one, the other one looks like it's gold printed. Ooh. Yeah. Yep. Very nice. And how about those Saga card packs? I'm, I was curious to see what was in those. I still haven't opened those yet. Yeah. And uh, forgive me for leaving, the, for leaving the price tags on. I was just trying to make a point there and no laugh. <laughs> I was a bit surprised by the uh, the pack of Pokemon cards you gave me. Really? I think you told me that how many cards they came with, but I was still surprised to find out. <laughs> Five cards yeah. and four hundred fifty yen. Yeah. yeah. How much are in the Japan in the American packs? Ten cards. Or how much? Like four bucks. A little over four bucks. Okay, so if I had bought you two packs, it would have still been less than the American price. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But sadly, did not get any tag team GXs in that pack. Oh, well, it was a very low, um, very, very low chance. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, the main reason I have so many EXs as it is, is because um, about ooh, four or five years ago, one of the, lo one of the island's uh, convenience store chains just went out of business. And the convenience store near my old apartment was just everything must go mode and so they had an entire box of pokemon um, booster packs at like 60 percent off oh wow so i spent about 25 bucks on i mean at literally 60 or like 50 in a piece um so i i had a lot of packs to sort through <laughs> yeah oh man yeah, we uh, lucked out over the holidays because GameStop, I don't know if they're trying to clear up back stock or what, but they had a buy one, get one free on all trading card game stuff. Like Nice. Anything, like the, the big elite trainer boxes, packs, decks, everything. Wow. Yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. They, well, I, I, I finally just made up a list cards that I need for holes in my flashcard collection, and there's a store a ways away from my apartment now that has just these big files of cards that you can look through and find the exact ones that you want. Nice. Yep. With individual pricing, lowest is like 30 yen, and the highest one I saw was like 2,000 yen, but no, I'm not getting those. No. <laughs> yeah. That's the same place that buys back Pokemon cards by the centimeter. By the centimeter? <laughs> yeah. You bring in a pack of these things, and they will measure how thick it is after checking to see if you've got any really good ones. And then they pay you by the centimeter. Nice. Mm-hmm. So which questions did you guys look over last time? Uh, so I don't remember because I have terrible memory. Uh, yes, sometimes you forget which episode it is. That's true. Well, it's easy now because we're back into, like, we're basically at the start of the hundreds. Once we get into like 115, I'll probably forget. And I swear, I'm pretty sure 
last episode may have actually been episode 100 because we may have missed <laughs> we may have missed a number somewhere along the way. I, I should I'm gonna have to go and check. Okay. Oops. Looks like uh, my comment on Xenon Valkyrie Plus got a clarification where when it says for bosses returning what he meant was it's possible to teleport past that point for each boss ah which is quite true but it's also quite true that it puts you at a disadvantage hmm. because um i mean teleporting ahead it um it will grant you like 5 10 15 20 however many um skill points like five times the number of levels skipped so you can upgrade your character as much as you want but your character is still stuck with the starting weapons. Uh. And, like, going into, like, the fourth world, I can tell you right now that, no, the starting weapons do not do <laughs> damage <laughs> at all. Even even with your strength ma um, ranked, or ramped really high up, it still doesn't do a lot. <clears throat> so, especially when you've got the, uh, like, the 15 to 30 base damage weapons already unlocked. Nice. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, we here's one we looked at last week, and we were gonna wait for you. Is that Dave? Mm -hmm. Is that a Dave? That's me. It's a Yay! Da it's a Dave at you. No, not that. <laughs> uh, also, the the option of Davey was already out there. Like, <laughs> Did you do that on purpose, or are you just broken inside? Uh, what do you think? My vote's on broken. Yeah, he, probably. He's, he's just a broken, squeaky wheel. <laughs> Good to hear from you in the new year. Yeah. Okay, so, what's our first question, then? Uh, so the first question, we skipped this one last week because we thought you might have some insight, was... Actually, it's not even a question, but Dai just said, old systems like NES, SNES, and Genesis had satellite functions. I'm not sure if he was replying to something we talked about um, in one no, of the last we, episodes. We, um, he asked a question about satellite games, and we were trying to figure out if he was referring to an actual company. Oh, okay. So what he's actually talking about is stuff like the Famicom Disk System that existed for a... I mean, technically it was still in service through 2004, but... Nobody, um, it was only being used by diehard fanatics. Um, but yeah, some of the peripheral systems that were supposed to enhance the old consoles before they realized that they could just build it into a new version of the console. Mm. Like Famicom Disk System was supposed to be an add-on to the original Nintendo because the original Nintendo cartridges didn't allow for saving. Um, oh yeah, that's before they developed battery backups. Yes. Um, but the just the speed with which the thing read the disc was measurable in snail paces. That um, so and so they eventually figured out how to do battery backups instead, and they pretty much sidelined that one. I believe there was also an issue of like at the time a cartridge wasn't going to get past about some thirty-two or so kilobytes, but uh, and the discs were hard coded at like one hundred twenty-eight kilobytes total, but. By the yes. end of the NES's lifespan, you get to, like, 8 megabits, so... Yeah, basically, Moore's Law kind of killed that one. Um, it's also one of the reasons why Nintendo was kind of shy about disc-based systems after that, because, again, I mean, the only one of these games I've ever played was um, Esper Dream, because it was ported over to 
3DS shop. And it's the only less than 8-bit game I've ever played with palpable load times. Yikes. What a time. Yes. I think they usually called them access pauses. It's really great to see the uh, Japanese version of Simon's Quest because it just has, like, the awful thing of you can get knocked back into town, except that when it does that, the game has to load. Yes. So, yeah, um, there are very few games that were only for Famicom Disk System, including Esper Dream. Most of them got reported back over to the enhanced uh, Nintendo cartridges as soon as they were available, including the original Legend of Zelda. Yeah, which I love the cartridge release because it retroactively retitles the game Zelda 1. Like, it's it's not allowed to just be The Legend of Zelda. It's Zelda 1 in contrast to Zelda 2. Yep. But yeah, there's a lot of games that are like that. It's it's weird to think about Castlevania with a save system, but that's how it was in Japan. Mm-hmm. The uh... I mean, plus, I mean, the disc system went in and out so fast that by the time the system, the Nintendo actually came to America, it was already almost gone. So. Yeah, there is a there is a port that theoretically was probably going to be used for a disc system. English release, but it's it's obviously like nothing about using that port on the bottom of it really happened. Yeah, and I know there was a Super Nintendo version in t- in planning at some point. And I know, like for uh, oh yeah, the satellite actually was called the satellite system. Um, and I know like Chrono Trigger Radical Dreamers was on it. Oh, broadcast to Teleview. Yeah, that one. That thing was crazy. It was a partnership between like Nintendo and like. Hello. Sorry, just a moment. So it was a partnership between Nintendo and, like, St. Giga. You might know more about them than I do. Um, I just know that the thing existed and then it that it crashed. Yeah, uh, I'm... I've financial. Always heard, yeah, yeah. I've always heard that, essentially, there was a problem with... Like, like Nintendo and St. Giga kind of got into business disputes about a year into the service, and that kind of had a problem. But there was also just the concept of tuning in to like the newest video game because like they would do these live broadcasts where someone where it would be broadcasting both the game data and like live voice narration wow it's very strange people have recordings of what these broadcasts look like with which they've tried to use to sort of recreate via rom hacking and the extracted sound data what the playing the game was sort of like when it was playing a live broadcast Hand, um, give a hand to Nintendo for trying to invent live streaming and Nico Nico video comment reels decades Because <laughs> that's, that's exactly what that sounds like, except not with any level of technology capable of supporting it. It's like if you, if you did that via like a combination of smoke signals and a radio broadcast. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Satellaview was an interesting doomed failure. But... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what? Oh, I know Secret of Mana and I think Earthbound as well were originally intended for a disc-based system, peripheral system, and that's why Secret of Mana ended up ha- losing a lot of its material when it was put on the cartridge with the much with less memory space than they had originally planned for, mm. and why Earthbound yeah. still has a very interesting anti-piracy coding in it that was never necessary for <laughs> cartridge. Yeah, Nintendo typically didn't bother a lot with anti-piracy because you didn't have something that read ROM cartridges onto your computer. Exactly, uh, but I mean that's why I was pretty sure Earthbound was originally made for one of the disk systems because they did have to do that for anything with those. Yeah, that one's 
That one's a really complicated system as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, Wheels, do you remember what the DRM was for Earthbound? No. Oh, this is a fun story. Um, so, basically, whenever you start the game and it does its little checksum to see if it's pirated or not, um, if it flags it as pirated, the difficulty level gets increased by a factor of 10. <laughs> yes, that that's the start of it. Now, if the player is incredibly mulishly stubborn and manages to get all the way through the game at 10 times plus or more difficulty, and he gets to Gygus at the end, and the final battle music starts up, and then the game crashes. Yikes. <laughs> and it and it deletes your save file. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. Like the, yes. I'm trying to imagine having actually reached the end and getting to that and just giving up on video games entirely. Yes. The, yeah. Um, I, I have no idea how this was discovered. I imagine that it may have been early in the emulation days when they were trying to emulate Earthbound and started going, what the hell is going on? Um, yeah, it, would, it feels like that must have been it. Combine that with probably, like, emulator cheats to try to actually keep moving through it, and that's probably how they worked out what the what it did at the end. But yeah, but yeah that's just brutal. Though, though it reminds me of my other favorite Nintendo-related piece of DRM with the Girlfriend game for DS. Oh, uh, the Love Plus one? Yes. I don't think I've heard of this one. I've heard, I knew what game you were talking about, but I don't know about this particular piece of DRM. Um, as I recall, since this was being made at the height of the um, R4 period of... Oh, Iris. that was a real bad time, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, so much like um, much like Earthbound, this one had some sort of checksum at the beginning that checked as... Um, the game worked normally up until the point where you made a save and then attempted to load off of the save because if the um, checksum um, noted that the game was pirated from the save file, your girlfriend in the game would immediately dump you. <laughs> she would dump own. you, and nothing you did could ever get her back into a positive feeling towards you, and every other girl in the game would call you, like, um, would just call you names. Excuse me, I don't date software pirates. Pretty much, yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Yeah, apparently, after not long after the game was released, there was a flood on the message boards of people going, why did my girlfriend on this game just dump me? And everyone was just going, dude. <laughs> That's actually an experience that dating sims rarely cover, the concept of your girlfriend just dumping you. What an opportunity. What an untapped market. <laughs> but, I mean, the entire point of a dating sim is to be a sort of, like, live-in fantasy for boys who just can't manage anything. Oh, so. ab absolutely. But I think that uh, it would be hilarious to play a prank on that audience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the kind of, well, you got dumped, now learn to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Those are still my two favorite examples of non-intrusive DRM in any game ever. Just because it's so it's so punked, the pirates. <laughs> It's much funnier if it involves something happening that you can't, yeah. like, you can't completely detect where it went wrong. Mm -hmm. Next question time.
Sure, sure. Okay. Uh, did we do this Nintendo's repu reputation one last week, Dave? Um. Can't recall. Oh, we're going to do it again anyway. Over the years, how has Nintendo's reputation as being a family system changed? It seemed maybe in the early 2000s there was almost a stigma to it, but it seems less now. How has this evolved over time? I mean, was there a stigma attached to it being a family system? Uh, at least in the West, I think so, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking that's more of a product of American obsession with machismo culture. Probably. I mean, just look at some of the more interesting, like, video game box art alterations. <laughs> I'm thinking Mega Man, Kirby, Breath of Fire. Yep. Um, yeah. What was the Kirby one? Angry Kirby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep, the now a meme. Yes, Angry Kirby. And, of course, Breath of Fire's box art, Ryu does not look like Ryu. He looks like a, um, oh, what's his name? Um, oh, the the Marvel Comics, um, Liefeld. He looks more like a Liefeld character. Hmm. Yeah. You know, so. But, um, honestly, I think it just comes back to the usual company dynamics here, where Sony is the hardware company, Microsoft is the software company, and Nintendo is the toys and fun company. Hmm. So, and that's pretty much all the way, all ways how it's been. So, um, I, mean, I, I do notice that they've, since the DS period, they started relaxing their stance on higher, um, higher rated games for adult themes. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, they allowed Megaton for decades anyway, so I mean, it wasn't too bad in that area, but, um... I mean, especially now with the 3DS, the 3DS games come in two different colors of boxes, boxes one for um, A or B ratings and one for C, D, and X ratings, or C, D, and Z ratings. Mm. Oh, Cero? Sorry, back again. Yeah, the, the CERO ratings, yeah. That's why I like importing the Monster Hunter games from Japan, because they come in cool black boxes. Yes, exactly. Oh, are they, are they Cero D? They're C. Oh, Cero C, that makes sense, yeah. D would yeah, be just, just too much for, because that would take it out of the teenage demographic. Yeah, Sarah sees um, it's usually like just blood, guts, gore a bit, yeah. just a little. Um, the megatons, yeah. yeah, the megatons yeah. tend to be C. Um, so do the Metal Max games. Um, very, there's only a handful of Ds, and that's stuff like um, Toshi and Toshi, and, which deserves it. And um, things that wish they were porn. <laughs> things that used to be porn until they took the hardcore stuff out so they could actually put it in a Nintendo part cartridge. Yeah, and then you get a handful of Zs. The only things I can think of are like I think some of the Resident Evil games. That's about that the only thing that's Z on the DS is Resident Evil. Um, basically, American-made games are more often Z than anything else. Oh yeah, well they tend to be a lot more cavalier about violence anyway. Yeah. I mean, Borderlands has a Z rating. Yeah, which is by by M standards pretty light. Uh, yeah. The only um, Jap yeah. other Japanese developed game I can think of would be I think No More Heroes is also Z. Yeah. Um, Grand Theft Auto series is Z. Um, Dead Rising was a Z. 
I think there was a joke at one point that the jo- the Z stood for zombies. It was definitely a fast route to getting one um, if you did a realistic zombie child game. Pretty much. I'm, guess, I'm gonna guess Resident Evil 2 remake is right about has has also received a Sarah Z. Possibly. I mean, I don't pay attention to a lot of those, to be honest. Yeah, it's probably not, not really in my interest area. I was just thinking about it because that game comes out in like two weeks, so. Let's see. Sarah Z games. There's apparently at least a version of it that's Sarah Z. Let's see, we have Alien Isolation, Assassin's Creed, all the way down, Biohazard 7, but would be Resident Evil, yep. uh, Borderlands 2, Chaos Head, um, which is... I've heard that it's a former porno <laughs> visual novel. <laughs> it, it is a visual novel, I have no idea what it's actually about. Um, Dead Rising 1 and 2, Deus Ex were both Z ratings. Hmm. So was Doom, and Duke Nukem Doom Forever, the Balls of Steel edition. Wow. Elder Scrolls Skyrim was a Z rating. Huh. Huh. I would have figured that could start with a D. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, it doesn't actually list why. Yeah. Uh, Far Cry Primal, Fallout Makes 76, sense. and Gears of War. I feel like all Fallout should kind of automatically get one just for all the nukes involved. Yeah. But that, Fallout 76 is the only one that's listed, oddly enough. All of the Gears of War games, Grand Theft Auto, Just Cause, Kingdoms of Amalur, L.A. Noir, Last of Us, Left for Dead, Lollipop Chainsaw. There's a Japanese one. Yeah, a lot of Go Ishisuda stuff seems to end up here. Yep. Max Payne, Ninja Gaiden 2, Middle Earth Shadow of War, The Orange Box. Huh. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, a lot of zombie stuff, as we said. Rise of the Tomb Raider. Wouldn't have guessed that one. Probably for the death scenes. Most likely. Um, and the original Tomb Raider as well. So. Yeah, yeah the, the death scenes. If you're playing badly, it's a pretty brutal game. <laughs> yeah, I remember that much of the first one. Um, Tom Clancy games. Um, there we go. Until Dawn and Vampire Rain. And there we go for that one again. More and and more. every Witcher title to ever get released in Japan. I've heard that those actually have good dubs in Japanese. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. It's, I mean, it looks like some. I mean, it really does look like somebody's idea of, oh, let's make something similar to Vampire Hunter D. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some shared DNA about what what is cool and what is monster hunting. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Okay, so yeah, the thing I was that sparked my kin- my curiosity is that apparently. Japan is getting two versions of Resident Evil 2 Remake. A standard version and a Z version. Now that would be fun. I'm very interested to see all of the, uh, to see the comparison videos about what is different between them. Uh, no, it's, it's too bad they can't do anything really nutty like um, like the Deadpool 2 PG-13 version. <laughs> Once upon a Deadpool was a strange thing to have happened. Did you see it? I have not seen it. It was it was in theaters, but at the time I was looking, I was like, mm, I think I'll watch Spider Man instead, and I still think I made the right decision. Yes, you did. <laughs> I know. That, yep. I mean, it hasn't come out over here yet, but I was just thinking of the the concept of its framing device. Oh, the framing device is beautiful. I did see what that was. Yeah. It's like it's like it wasn't just okay. Let's just take the basic idea from Princess Bride and have Deadpool reading it to somebody. 
let's actually take Savage from the Princess Bride and have him kidnapped and Deadpool reading it to him. <laughs> I'm like, That's perfectly in character. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, what question led to the Saru discussion? Uh, Nintendo uh, family f- family friendliness. Mm. Yes, I was going. I should probably note that of the games that are on this list, very, very, very few of them were ever for a Nintendo system. And in fact, this does not mention most of the ones that I know were on DS and 3DS, which would include again several different Biohazard games. <laughs> um, at least Code Veronica, I think, or was it? May have been like all of. It, it was uh, Resident Evil Gaiden. That's all I remember. Like, all of them eventually got ported to GameCube, so, like, 0 through 4 would all be on that list. Oh, that, and I never actually looked at the GameCube list. I've mostly based this off the handhelds. Mm, okay, and yeah, the it, handhelds generally had less, but, I mean, Revelations I, as well. I mean, I would, I'd be stretching to actually be able to count more than just one hand of games with the Z rating for DS and 3DS, both. Yeah. And it would not be very surprising which games were on the list. <laughs> so. It's it's one of those things like it's sort of like how you can there are there are three Super Nintendo games that are rated M. You want to take a stab at what ones? Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat three because that was the first one after the ESRB existed. Killer Instinct. Nope. Nope. Uh, you said Super Nintendo, right? Think, yeah, I said Super Nintendo. Think games that were big in, like, 1994. Maximum Carnage? What? Oh. <laughs> That's a game based on a, off a comic book. <laughs> uh, not not one of the Mega Ten games. Uh, nope, because those never came out in, the, in English at the time. Oh, wait, well, you were saying M. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they would definitely but, have gotten an M rating. Yeah, MK2, MK3, and Doom. Oh, it came to Super Nintendo. Forget yeah, about that. It's, it's a very so impressive came, and yet Doom still has terrible come to port. Everything. It was it was a very difficult port, and it's very impressive. It's also still really bad, but it's also one of the handful of console ports that's not based off the Jaguar version for some reason. It's uh I mean, it has all the levels, which is impressive because some of those levels are very large. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. What a strange game. What a strange system. Uh, what a strange but, Twilight but system. To, but to paraphrase the famous movie, if you build the console, somebody will put Doom on it. Pretty much. <sighs> Even if you don't, I mean, I've, I've seen enough ports of Doom to a printer to know that it doesn't have to be a console for it to matter. <laughs> to a printer? Yeah, yeah, people have ported Doom to the printer. Like a modern printer. <laughs> It's fascinating. It's uh, choices were made. I've also seen it on ATA. That one's that one's pretty good. Okay, different random story here. Doom related, mm-hmm. but this was this was uh, related to me by a former Papa John's manager. <laughs> uh, the, the story dates back to sometime in the mid to late 90s University of Oklahoma campus um, where uh, one one day on actually one bright morning in February 2nd of that year 
um, a history professor brought a musket as a um, display item for his class in American history that um, for that day. And it was a plugged musket, couldn't do a thing. But when, um, that evening, when he was packing up the stuff to go home, he had the musket over his shoulder as he walked to the car. And he, when he walked to his car, he passed right in front of the student union where an enterprising young student reporter saw his, saw his outline and immediately called the ABC, NBC, and CBS affiliates before the campus police. Um, so by the time the police arrived, there were reporters on the scene discussing... Um, like accounts of a man in, with a gun in the area, I think. Except for CBS, who was actually, well, which one was it? No, it was ABC that was reporting sniper. And so there was this big hullabaloo going on. And as it turns out, the uh, the area of the campus, it was kind of a quad with the student union and a couple of the dorms forming a square. And so all the students were looking out the windows, wondering what the hell's going on. And they figured out just from watching the news pretty fast and so a couple of guys nobody ever figured out who set up some loudspeakers out their window connected to their computer they loaded up doom brought up the chain gun and just spammed the space bar (laughs) and everybody on the ground in in that parking lot just hit the dirt and uh, um, so um, this wasn't settled until the history professor got home, turned on the TV, saw the news, and went, oh my god, and rushed straight back to the university to tell them what was going on. Um, oh. oh what a next day, story. Next day, some people, some possibly the same students, went out with a bunch of, several boxes of colored chalk and started drawing in outlines on the, the asphalt. Um, and then wrote down and here we remember the victims of the Groundhog Day Massacre. What? Something like <sighs> I don't know how to respond to that. I think I might be dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, so did the love the reporters. <laughs> Unrelated, uh, I am going to redact a previous statement. The M-rated SNES games, there are three of them, but it's not Mortal Kombat 2 and Mortal Kombat 3. It's Mortal Kombat 3 and Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3. Uh-huh. Ah. Well, I mean, Fine. Mortal Kombat was the winning one anyway. Yeah. It was just hilarious to me to think of, like, I didn't even realize they had kept releasing them on SNES that far, but no, apparently they kept doing it, and that's how that came about. Mortal Kombat 2 squeaked by before the ESRB came out with just a parent's strongly advised warning on it. (laughs) It's fine. Mortal Kombat is bad. Uh, Mortal Kombat! Yeah. I mean, it's the game that made most of its reputation by having extreme violence decapitations, and that's about it. Pretty much. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm now... Looking at questions. <laughs> okay. Uh, Let's get going. So, have you ever purchased an early access game? How do you feel about this concept from Budai? Well, uh, I've only ever purchased one early access. I've received several early access, but I've only ever purchased one. Hmm. And that one would be Crypt of the Necrodancer. 
Oh, that's a good one. Because, <laughs> a good game. because after playing the pre-alpha, I mean, literally the pre-alpha build at Tokyo Game Show many years ago, I was ready to just put down $5 right there and buy that. That one was pretty much, like, it wasn't fully formed, but at the same time, like, you could see the appeal of it even in yeah. those earliest builds. Oh, definitely. Um, it was like, as soon as I got home from that particular Tokyo Game Show, I just went on and I ordered the thing. I had to actually had to get Steam to order it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I haven't bought any, to my knowledge. I did. I have recently been playing one that was gifted to me called Descenders, which is kind of a neat one. It's a randomly generated downhill mountain biking. <laughs> it's fun. I recommend it. That's another one where the appeal... If you find the idea appealing, like it's already far enough along that it's probably worth playing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. What about you, Wheels? You seem like a Slay the Spire sort of person. Uh, let's see. There was one I bought on Early Access... Uh, after playing it at PAX, I can't remember the name of it, but it was like an action-y roguelike. It was basically sort of like Binding of Isaac, except uh, without weird, gross graphics, like more just standard <laughs> fantasy. Less hideous. And it was okay. And then um, I don't think I actually ended up buying this one. I think it was on my wish list for a while, and I was going to buy it, and then somebody gifted it to me, but can't remember the name. It was like Tangle something, but it's like a a traditional roguelike, but it has like uh, it's like designed to look like an SNES game, so it's got like that style of sprites. Mm. And it's it's really cool. Uh, I need to find the I need to find the name of it because it's coming out on Switch as well. I'm looking at uh, the description for Slay the Spire and wondering how Wheels hasn't been playing it for the last six months. Is that like the card game roguelike? roguelike? We f- the exact description given was, we fused card games and roguelikes together to get the best single-player deck builder we could. Well, I can tell you exactly why I'm not playing it. Because I, I have a very low opinion of uh, AI in card games. Very extremely low. That's fair. Oh, it can't be as bad as the Yu-Gi-Oh game. <laughs> Listen, as long as it can't change cards that are currently in its hands, it can't be worse than that. Oh, <laughs> uh, that reminds me. Uh, that that is still the funniest thing to ever actually look up and see someone that, force the game to visualize what the computer, the AI's cards are. That's hilarious. Also, apparently, Slay the Spire has been announced for Switch, so you can't escape it forever. Will. Sweet. Uh, I guess not. It might have a better AI, given that the player might be the only one who has a deck. Let's see. But, yeah, I mean, like, I don't have anything against uh, against early access as a concept. I mean, caveat emptor, after all, but, I mean, it's not like any of these games are not labeled to tell you exactly what they are, so... It's more of a case of Whenever you make a system capable, or any sort of system capable of doing something, people will do everything they can to take advantage of it. Yeah. So you just have, as I said, caveat emptor, you have to be careful to make sure that what you're buying is going to be finished one day. Right. I mean, like, I don't even, I personally don't even have the expectation that all of these will be finished, because game development is weird, and lives get weird when you're working on an indie scale but at the same time like i would say that that ends up being more the responsibility of the platform holder to be careful of like 
if you allow a minimum viable product, you need to have something in place to make sure that someone isn't just trying to take the money and run. So, I mean, I would, I, I would, and I would and have uh, often put much more concern on like Steam should care more about this rather than uh, putting the responsibility to the consumer. But at the same time, you you know, I, I guess I would say don't put money into an early access game that you aren't happy with the current state of it when you purchase it. Yeah, pretty much. Like, your only guarantee is to what it looks like when you bought it. Mm -hmm. And, of course, there are some cases where what what it looks like when you bought it is not actually what it is either, but that's a completely different level of scam. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, you're, you're dealing with, like, specific cases that are basically going to have to be dealt with on a case-by-case basis. But, I mean, companies do that all the time, and that's just sort of the price of doing business, so... Yeah. We accept that in the actual market of things that are labeled completed, so... Yeah. So, well, what do you think about... What was it? Um, The president of Nintendo's statement that it's better to delay a game and have it complete than to get it... rush it out and have it definitely not be... I think that that relies on a like it was it was from that statement's been floating around since at least 2000 and I believe it was originally attributed to Miyamoto yeah I, but, that's where I saw it yeah but uh, what I would say is that it relies on a time when a game like came out and that was the game and at yeah. this point that like it was very good advice, and it still kind of is, but, I mean, there is also a point where you just have to say, like, we have to release it to the player base and see what they make of it before we worry about how to fix what parts still need fixing. And and then, of course, we have our favorite Kawazu quote. Or was it, um, was it a um, response to somebody on Twitter? About, um, it was um, somebody making a comment about um, Saga Scarlet Grace actually being finished. Oh yeah, I saw that. Uh, what what was what did he actually? It was say? a really good quote because it was basically like, uh, I remember this. I think I know what the quote. I think I remember this quote, but I yeah, I don't remember what it was either. I'm looking for places that I know it would have been posted since I won't be able to find it on the Twitter itself. Didn't someone like have a snarky comment and then he gave like an actual earnest reply or something like, like that? Like he gave like an actual much, yeah. Like it was basically a comment like, about how well maybe they'll actually have Saga Scarlet Grace finished for this one. Yeah, and it was, and basically his response is like, "Games don't get finished." <laughs> yes, pretty much. Yeah. Like, the part of the job of being a director is, is looking at something and saying, "Like, I could keep working on this forever, but I have to stop." <laughs> and like that is important because, like, I mean, you look at a lot of things. Like the the classic archetypal example would be Duke Nukem Forever, where the problem was that George Broussard, who was in charge of that project, could never look at the game and see it as complete. Yeah. At some point, you have to ship it. Pretty much, yeah. 
Oh, well, we'll find it eventually. But let's actually get on to another question or something. Sure. <laughs> so, the other part of his what? question here... Oh, go ahead. You already had it up. What would... Sure, why not? Uh, what would some potential Pokemon game names be? I mean, he's missing a B there. Not the monsters, but the titles themselves, since they always have a dual nature. Well, but right around, I think it was Generation 4 came out, and I was being kind of bored sitting around the house, and I kind of came up with a... I mean, if I'd been more artistically inclined, I probably would have done a webcomic series based on my own made-up Pokemon sequel. Hmm. It was uh, Pokemon Chrome Titanium. Hmm. Oh, that'd be neat. Yep. With um, the... The... Uh, na- um, like, the box uh, box cover art legendaries being Chrome and Titania. There were... Um, it's like like dual formed, so they had a beast form and a kind of a fairy form. This is before fairies were even in the game, um, <laughs> and um, there were actually um, was it non compete non competing dual um, like non competing duality. Mm. Like together they were, I mean, together they were one of the five disasters that were fated to hit the um, the region. Because I based all the, the super legendaries in this version, um, this made-up version, off of the five great disasters of the Aztec calendar. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, you had the four previous ages and the one to come. So, like you had the age of Jaguar, where everyone was killed by wild animals. So it was these two um, that occasionally would just appear and start eating stuff. <laughs> um, because uh, I mean. I mean, they actually had a reason. It was actually a preparation for their breeding cycle. Mm-hmm. So you, you could also get their the infant version of them called Cobalt, um, which could never evolve into one of them because it took like five centuries to do so. Ah. Uh, but yeah, they, um, that was like one of the major plot points in the story I was going to do. And then you had ones for... Basically, I had this weird flying thing that was for hurricanes. One... This trip, uh, it was like a triune oddity that was had to come together, and then they'd create a tsunami that would destroy a city. Um, you had, I had one called um, the Cloud Eater that was a fire ghost Pokemon that literally, I mean, it not only reset the local weather to drought, but it would absorb water attacks. Hmm. Because, I mean, it, w- it would eat, literally eat clouds. Hmm. So its primary weakness was actually something that would feed it. Neat idea. Yeah, and then the by the um, Aztec calendar, the, la- the fifth age, the current one, was supposed to end in a giant earthquake. Mm. So for that legendary, it was basically a, like a, actually it looked kind of like one of the weird ones from, uh, um, from the Alola region now. Uh, thing of it, but it's basically a giant black ball that um, that made everything weigh fifty times more whenever when it was around. So it it was like putting a weight on a flying type makes it um, no longer immune to ground type attacks. So everything that came near it was suddenly a lot slower and probably not in the air. Mm. Yeah, mm. I had a lot of fun with this and. Uh, um, if you've ever seen any of my random Pokemon designs on Facebook, mm-hmm. or occasionally in old um, RP gamer features, that's where most of these came from. It's a it's a fun world to sort of add to because it gives you that sort of freedom to do 
to take interesting things from reality and sort of twist them in a Pokemon fashion. Yeah, that was also the game where I decided, you know what? First of all, the individual gems are going to have themes, but they are not going to be type themes. Hmm. Hmm. So you had one gem that was an agricultural theme. Mm. So lots of plants, but a lot of other things that also dealt with plants. You had one gym that was... Oh no, I have to deal with a mill tank. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, There was another gym that was occult-themed, so lots of psychic, dark, and um, ghost types. There was another one... um, Let's see. Yeah, I mean, there was one that was actually based on weak points and status stuff. So, um, the... And it was currently undergoing a small civil war, so the gym leader of that time was focused on cute Pokemon that could be used to stall, stimmy, and otherwise um, reduce the attacker's ability to do anything. She also considered the cutest Pokemon ever to be uh, to be Storlax. <laughs> <laughs> so. uh, he's very good at stalling, too. So Yeah, so it was like, okay, little Pokemon. Okay, it cries. You're a little weaker now, but okay, you you kick it out of the room. You repeat this a few times. Like, okay, what's you got left? Snorlax, level fifty. Oh crap! <laughs> and um, what, one of my favorites for concept was actually um, the. Uh, it, it was basically um, th- this was back when they still actually had casinos in all the Pokemon games. So I decided to include a city that was basically Pokemon Las Vegas. And the gym was built into the quote unquote Lucky Penny Pokemon Casino or Pokemon Gym and Casino. <laughs> and simply walking into town with a certain number of gym badges was enough to get you automatically registered as the next combatant. <laughs> and even for more fun, the gym leader had literally had 100 Pokemon available chosen on a percentile roll. <laughs> so you literally had no idea what was going to come next. Oh man! Well, that sounds heinous. Um. Oh no! Um, and for the fun part, I actually picked up twelve gems for this game with with the actual list of gems you had to take out being determined by which version you were in. They almost did. They did some concepts similar to that, but usually to teach you typings like in uh in black the first dungeon the, not the first dungeon the first gym like yeah, the tri gym yeah. yeah the tri gym that like specifically exists to be better to to be disadvantageous to your starter i force you to use something else i have a funny story about that one once you're oh, no. once you're done no go continue i'll tell you once you're done okay <laughs> but yeah so i mean the idea, the idea I had around 2006, about 13 years ago at this point, was the entire story of the region was, like, the entire region was on the brink of a civil war between a, uh, between a um, two groups that had very strong differences of opinion on how to manage the um, local, um, well, just manage the land and the Pokemon, and... Um, certain behind-the-scenes forces were working to make sure that the extremists, the most extreme edges of both sides were the ones that were being the most militant. And so they were forming like a Team Aqua, Team Magma kind of dynamic. Mm -hmm. And so of the um, 
He's like, of the 12 gyms, four of them had aligned with one side, four of them had aligned with another side, and four were remaining neutral. And you're, um, depending on which game you chose to go, um, to go with, you were already aligned with one of the two sides at the start. Hmm. So, yeah. um, so you had four opposing gyms to go through and four neutral gyms to go through before you had the eight badges that you needed to um, go up to the Pokemon League. Hmm. But story involving all of them. And just for fun, it was actually 13 gyms because one city had a public gym that was based around the local police force and one gym that was completely unofficial based around the local crime syndicate. <laughs> and you could choose whichever one you wanted to support in this case. Finally. Even if, even if the crime syndicate was not actually doing a lot of crime, but it was instead focused more on testing security these days. Finally, finally Team Rocket has its own gym. Pretty much, yeah. Not just the not just the Earth gym from... Yeah, like an uh, actual gym themed around itself. <laughs> yep. So yeah, there was a lot of fun ideas about how can we make choices different in it's this a neat game. Idea. So, and plus after having just come off of Pokemon Pearl and dealing with the how a lot of the type-based gyms in that game couldn't even fill their own gyms with Pokemon oh, man. type. There are two total uh, there are two total fire type families in the Freaking Sinnoh decks in the yes. initial Diamond Pearl decks. That's why they had to redo the decks completely for Platinum. Yeah. And of course, one of them was the starter. The other one was uh, Rapidash. Yeah, it was Ponyta and Rapidash, which is not the strongest fire type around. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I think the gym leader actually used, uh, what was it, Mimilop, the, the bunny rabbit with a fire kick? Oh, yeah. I don't think that's what it's called in English. I think that's called something else, but yeah. Probably. And I know the, the Steel Gym the Steel Gym had similar issues. Yeah. I feel like the response I feel like black and white might have been in part a response to that. And like we need to make enough new Pokemon that like we could staff an entire game with nothing but them. Oh, that was definitely part of the response there. Just a really, fun, which was a really fun feeling to finally play a Pokemon game where I didn't know any of them. Yes. <laughs> but uh, oh, also I finally found that tweet. I think. Yeah, you posted it here. Let's see, what was it saying? Oh, okay. Let's actually find the comments here. Say, so, uh-huh, make sure it's safe before you open it. Sure, yes, I trust you. Okay. <laughs> what a foolish choice. So yeah, you know what I mean by. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, well, if you look at it this way, um, it's like, everything from Final Fantasy onward has been released as a beta version. <laughs> <laughs> so, Which is very true if you've ever looked at how Final Fantasy 1 works. <laughs> yes. Uh, we've discussed these things in lots of times. Yeah. More beta than what's and this and this new one will also be beta version. If we wait until it's actually complete to release it, it's never going to get out. <laughs> yes, <laughs> more or less. That's that's more or less what he said. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fun, uh, like very direct sort of like games don't get finished. Yes, <laughs> they just get released. They just get finished enough. 
Yeah. But yes, if anybody who's bothering, who really wants to look, that was from August 2nd, 2018, at Saga 25 Kawazu. And if you can read it, actually, more power to you. Kawazu talked, like, every time there's a Saga announcement, he remembers that Twitter exists and tweets a fair bit. And every time I, like, get actual translations of them, they're all really interesting. He's very candid compared to what you would expect from us. With the from a Twitter account that you would normally assume existed just to hype up a new release, <laughs> I think there's also some tweets in there about people asking him about an HD remaster of like Saga Frontier, and he's like, none of those backgrounds exist in a quality high enough for that to actually be feasible. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to uh, address one more from Budai before I have to go. Okay. Sure. And I'm just going to go way down the list here because he put a lot of stuff on this last comment sheet. Um, I could look it up for the sake of conversation, but this game, Ice Nine, was a Kurt Vonnegut game. And I'm like, <sighs> um, dude, I'm not quite sure why you're commenting on this. I'm sure that it had something to do with the conversation last week that I missed. But Ice Nine was a plot point from the Kurt Vonnegut novel, Cat's Paw, which, as far as I know, was never made into a game. However, thing- it is a joke on 8-bit theater. If you've ever seen that, it's the sprite comic loosely based on Final Fantasy One because it turns out really weird at the end. Um, but the red mage character was talking about how you have the ice one, ice two, ice three, but he pushed all the way up to ice nine, which if he ever dared release it would um, reduce the entire planet to a snowball because of the interconnectedness of all life. <laughs> which was obviously a massive reference to Kurt Vonnegut's Cat's Paw. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so go read the book. It is not actually included in a game. It would be really awesome if it were. The The reason he brought that up is that uh, we were discussing... I forget what brought us onto this, but I talked about how I read too many game magazines in the early aughts, which is why I know too much about games that never came out. And uh-huh. there was, in fact, a very generic-looking FPS called Ice Nine announced for the Xbox and never released. Ah, okay. Mm. Never mind. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. But, uh... Yeah, so that that is entirely on me, and yeah, no, I just as far as like I went back to look it up again, and as far as I can tell, no, it does not have it does not seem that they had any further thought behind that name other than sounds cool. There's no real relation to Vonnegut or anything like that. Yeah, he'd probably sue them if it were. Yeah, but at the same time, it's also like that would be a lot more interesting than what they were actually making. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, anyway, I need to get going, so have fun okay. with whichever questions you decide to sure. do you after get to leave, Or so... if we just ramble about yeah. something unrelated. You don't, get to hear, <laughs> you don't get to hear my embarrassing Pokemon Black story. Well, I, I'm still going to have to get ready to go, so please tell that. Uh, fine. So, I start as I said previously, I've started to play Pokemon Black. Uh, I was at the first gym. I had my team with Spider-Ham and some cat guy and dog or something and yes. a lillipop and uh yeah lillipop and Cholonico, uh, whatever the name of the thing was i don't uh, remember the english names for these guys catamander Catam- that's not it at all it's not it's, it's, not it's, it's all. a little purple black kitty cat who's really yeah, cute exactly yeah. is it purloin or is that it's yeah uh, i think that was purloin yeah yeah it's purloin um so, obviously, before you get there, at some point, they say, oh, you should go to, what is it, like, the Dream Garden or Dream Yard yeah. or something like that. And I was like, no, I'm yeah. good. 
good. I'm gonna go, you know, clear out this first gym. This will be easy. It was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so after about, I want to say five or six times getting destroyed, I actually went to the gym, the dream yard. Uh, fought some trainers, leveled up a little bit, went and tried again, failed again a few more times, went back there because I thought... Not find the ape. Hold on. So I went back there because I thought I had missed a trainer. I realized I hadn't, but for some reason I went and talked to the, the trainer all the way on the right anyway, and he gave me the ape. I'm like, ugh. Oh. Just, ugh. Yeah. Oh. Oh. I don't remember what my black team was. Complete uh, yes. and utter and so failure you got on your my part. Starter. Yes, yes. For you would have been pan poor. No wait, no. You need something that counters them, so it would have been pan sage. Yes, it would have been the the green monkey that evolves into the mohawk monkey. Yeah, yeah. But uh, let's see. I'm trying to remember what my final uh, Pokemon Black set was. I know I had. Uh, the electric spider Galvantula, because I really like strange uh, type combinations and I'd never seen an electric bug before. Mm -hmm. uh, I grabbed Hydreigon because that was neat looking. I like Hydras. Uh, <laughs> I had yeah. Superior. Mm -hmm. What else would I have had? Oh, I should fish out my cartridge and look. <laughs> I mean, I don't have my cartridge anymore, but I, I'm sure that I had Embor as my leader because I just like the piggy and because my class mascot at the time was a pig. Ah. Uh, um, I do remember that when black two, white two came out and they had achievements for all for taking out the uh, final, the uh, um, elite four with an all same type group. I got so many of those things just fun. I think it was the most time I ever put into a Pokemon game just because you had achievements, and you could... I mean, I think I got, like, 8 out of 16 of the type um, group achievements. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I ended up working with a lot of things I never thought I would. It's nice that they incentivized that. Yeah. Especially since I insisted on doing, like, 6 new ones for each um, yeah. type. So, um, even though I was choosing a lot of them for dual types, yeah... You weren't using any of the same ones, which gives you a lot of yep. variety. Uh, yeah, Un unless absolutely necessary because I couldn't find anything else with the right type. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I got a lot of weird lists of Pokemon. Gen 5 is really, really good. Yeah. So I, I was kind of disappointed that they didn't bring back the achievements for Gen 6. Yeah, it'd be nice to see those come back in a future game. Yeah, because I think they uh, they add a lot and just like a incentivize the user in even a small way to play the game counterintuitively. Yep. It's like, yeah, let's let's take it with Lillipup and Purloin all the way to the end. Huh. <laughs> yeah, I had a fully evolved. I don't remember what Lillipup's final evolution is. Stoutland is that the second form? I, don't I, I think it was Stoutland. Because it was, I mean, it was Murandal for Japanese, so I'm guessing a, a land would probably be good in there. Yeah, Hurtier and then Stoutland, yeah, it's Stoutland. The giant Yorkshire Terrier, yes. It's a, it's a big boy, and one of the better, like, just, you see hundreds of these from the beginning of the game to the end uh, sorts of things, as far as, like, you can catch one of these and it'll serve you reasonably well. Yeah. 
it's a pretty solid choice. Anyway, I gotta get going. See ya. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, um, save some questions for next time or not, because it looks like Udai has one. Well, two Fine. more questions and a bit of a um, reminisce, I guess. And okay. 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 So, talk to you later. See ya. Bye -bye. See ya. See ya. Rich, did you discuss this thing about Pokemon cards? I did not. Well, I discussed it with him offline, but not on the show, so we'll discuss ah. that. <laughs> uh, you want to read it? I forget the exact context. Uh, at Wheels, I have a son about a year younger than yours. What did you? Uh, when did you start the Pokemon card game with him? Did you buy pre-built decks first? So it was right before he turned six. Um, I did buy pre-built decks because the cool thing they have is they have like a, I guess you want to call it like a learn to play pack, but it's, they called it like a starter pack. It's two 30 card decks and they're actually numbered. Like they set, set the decks up so that you, they're in a certain order and they walk you through like the whole game, exactly what you're going to draw, exactly what you're going to play. Kind of a good way to learn. Teach by playing, sort yeah. of thing. Uh, we we didn't do that, but we did obviously get the decks and start learning to play with those. And that was a good place to start. Obviously, he can't fully read yet, but he can read the numbers, and honestly, that's what's mostly important. It'll also it also game. that sort of thing incentivizes children to learn to read because it's it, like I like playing this. I want to. I will I will solve these glyphs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I mean, shortly after we started doing that, I honestly, I was pretty bored with <laughs> the starter decks. Uh, so we went for uh, the full pre-built decks, and I've actually found them to be really, really good. Like, uh, they have some, like, it's not like all just junk cards. There's actually not all tournament level cards, but there's some really good cards in there and honestly the the hardest thing um i think to teach a kid how to play is they they want to get they obviously are going to be like i want this pokemon i want in my deck i want this pokemon in my deck because they just want all the cool characters in there and that yeah and that's obviously going to be a really awful deck so <laughs> um yeah that was a tough thing to figure out like okay i had we okay, son, we have to put, like, a bazillion supporter cards in your deck so your deck actually works and you actually enjoy playing it and don't hate this game, so... Yeah. But yeah, the, the pre-built decks are a great place to start, and then eventually from there you can kind of get to, like, building your own decks, which for a lot of people is really fun, and it's... especially if you want to start buying booster packs, because uh, you're not always gonna get stuff that slots in your existing pre-built decks and eventually you'll probably have a bunch of extras and can make some other decks and the other the other kind of i think bad thing not necessarily bad but unfortunate is they only ever have like a certain number of pre-built decks per set and they always they there seem to be some like types that aren't always covered like uh i was looking for a fairy type deck and they're didn't seem to be one because there's no fairy type in the card game there is there is yes there what is what they call it because they always call it something different now they call it fairy type what yeah <laughs> they call it steel metal uh yeah uh, they call it steel now 
They must have changed it. Okay, back in the day, at the very least, they called it metal. Well, I mean, the types in the card game are already weird. Completely crazy. Because, obviously, there's too many in the video games, so they're not going to do that many in the cards, and instead of maybe trying to find some, like, middle ground name, it's just like, okay, fighting type is fighting rock and ground types all smushed together. Um, Yeah, back in the day, I remember that. Water is water and ice types. Makes sense. Psychic... Psychics gets like poison type mixed in, which, which is weird. It's weird. <laughs> poison is traditionally weak to psychic. Yeah, it's weird, but it kind of works because they're both like a purplish type. So it my personal sort of works. favorite, my personal favorite choices they made was that electric type is called lightning type for some reason. Yeah. Also, dark is called darkness. Yep. I, I would imagine that they'd probably use steel and metal interchangeably, but as far as I can tell, resources still call it metal type. Uh, TCG online open right now. I should see of course, exactly what they call Of course. Uh, of course, the, don't, the, the energy cards ha- don't actually have words on them. The weirdest thing I found is the dragon types. Yeah, that seemed like that's a type that barely exists in the game. Yeah, games. it's just the ones that it's on are super strong. Well, they were like, okay, they they must have put these out. I think at the same time they started adding in fairy types or thereabouts because all the ones I've seen are weak to fairy type, like you'd expect. But it's like there is there isn't a, there isn't a dragon energy card. They they all just use other energy types. There is a dragon energy symbol, which makes it even better. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh, if you really like dragon types, you can make a dragon deck, but maybe not with all the dragons you you want, unless you want to use every energy type in your freaking deck. Yeah, maybe just just pick ones that are uh, just uh, all use the same energy. That'll probably save you a little bit. Hey, yeah, it's just not as fun though. It's like, I know. Why, why make this a type if you're not going to actually enable someone to actually make a deck of this type? Just make something completely arbitrary and label it dragon. The other thing, so dark type is in there, but... Darkness. (laughs) Whatever they want to call it, but it's like I don't see a lot of things that are actually weak to dark. How do you feel about colorless type? Is that what they call it? I don't think there's a colorless type. There's colorless energy, but I don't think there's a colorless type. It's normal type. It's It's whatever it is in... It's so it, that's another weird type in there. It's similar to like the normal type in the game. It's got all those that you'd expect, like uh, Snorlax, Snorlax, Snorlax <laughs> uh, Chansey. I think Chansey's probably actually a fairy now, uh, I, or at least will be in later sets, probably. Yeah. So, but then it's got the flying types. So like every every bird in existence is in there, including, like... They're all colorless. There's, like, versions of some of, like, the legendary birds, like Ho-Oh. There's obviously That's a fire... That's weird, because that one's really defined yeah. by being fire. There's obviously fire hoes, but there's also a normal-type one, which is, like, what are you doing? <laughs> what <laughs> what are you doing? Like, why? And so but the I other... guess it's probably to balance the individual card. Yeah, but I think the weirdest thing, and they i guess they have done this but very rarely is there's no dual types like there's some i guess they must have done it briefly in a set or two 
but everything's one for the most part everything's one type so that means there's like multiple printings uh, of cards of different types like uh Alolan Ninetales there's you can get there's different uh, water types or fairy types <laughs> I appreciate this like the this wiki wiki this Bulbapedia article that's just like battle properties generally colorless Pokemon have a weakness to lightning if the Pokemon is a flying type in the video yep. games fighting if the Pokemon is a normal type in the video games and colorless if the Pokemon is a dragon type in the video games <laughs> <laughs> oh man See, I'm trying to see what wording they use on these cards, but whenever there's, like, a word for the type, it's just the symbol instead. <laughs> Everywhere. So I don't even know. Yeah. Weird. Uh, it, it is a mystery. <laughs> oh, yeah, and ghost types are in psychic types as well. <laughs> uh, Pokemon the TCG is much more concerned about... Uh, making an individual card work and it is about uh, video game yeah. faithfulness. And that's fine. That's that's totally fine. That's how it should be. Like, some of the mechanics, which I think are kind of bad, were kind of, I think, bore out of trying to be like the video game. Like, coin flips, I don't think there's as many as there used to be, but... Those used to be on everything. Yeah. I remember, like, cause I, like, I think that whenever I think of Pokemon cards, it's in terms of the base sets through, like, Fossil, like, those first handful of sets. And... Like, if, if a Pokemon's going to do anything, it's going to revolve around resolving coin flips. Yeah, and, and I made this joke when uh, somebody was showing me spoilers for the next Magic set, and there was a card that involved coin flips. I was like, what is this? The Pokemon TCG? <laughs> you say while playing the Pokemon TCG. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, there's far less of that now, and on... And, uh... It's still there, though, and obviously that bore out of things like, oh, this attack may cause a Pokemon to be burnt or poisoned or whatever other effects. Yeah, or like this attack gets a critical hit slightly more often, so if you resolve a coin flip, it does more damage. Yeah. But, yeah, like that sort of thing is very much a... uh... an attempt to bear that out, and like, I I appreciate that... uh... Like, that's also their attempt to make games less deterministic, but it also, uh... It's a little... little little much. Yeah. And they... they the few cards I've seen from the later sets seem to be less in love with uh, coin flips. Yeah, well, the... The, the bigger thing they're doing now is, like, super powerful cards that have a downside. I think would be the best way I could explain the theme. Mm-hmm. Like, like they'll they'll do that with sets because I remember one of the last sets that I was there for would have been like the Team Rocket one, and that one was just full of coin flips, but they were coin flips for effects that sucked. <laughs> yeah, the thing they're doing in the next set is tag team Pokemon, which they're like extremely powerful, lots of life, obviously, but if they get knocked out, your opponent draws three prizes, so it's like extreme risk or reward. It just puts you right up a creek without a paddle. Yep. Uh, yep. But yeah, like I remember, there's like one where like you have to resolve like three coin flips, and it doesn't do something you would have wanted for one. <laughs> TCG was weird in its early days. Yeah, and there's still some cards that I've I use and I've seen people use. Like one's the Timer Ball, where you flip two coins, and for each heads you search for like an evolved Pokemon. 
It's but like, that means it's totally possible for that to do nothing. Yes, and it's like, I would rather have a card that just lets me search for one evolved Pokemon. Like, like guaranteeing... Like, yeah. That guarantee is worth the loss of bonuses. Like, uh, man. just It's just crazy how uh, card games as a whole have evolved. Mm-hmm. I speak as though I speak from a position of authority. <laughs> well, I mean, I think you've seen, at least from the outside... How, how much things have changed over the years. Like, like, like I can speak for it as someone who saw like Pokemon right when that was first blowing up and can look at a modern set and be like, hmm, look at all these differences. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty damn different. I mean, the basic rules are relatively the same, but for the most part, it's just like wildly different. Mm-hmm. Just the ethos of how you design cards has changed a lot. Yeah, and there are some things I don't like about it. Like, uh, there's one... so. Obviously, this is pulled from the game. There's a rare candy card where, uh, in the game, I believe it just levels up a Pokemon once, right? Yeah. It is a free level up. So, in the TCG, it lets you skip a stage. Like, you go right from a basic Pokemon to a stage two. Which, to me, I think. That's really powerful. I think it's really. I think it's too powerful. Like, Mm -hmm. I I think it kind of cheats like the whole intent of stage twos are really powerful because the downside is you have to get there. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have to do that, I think it's, it's it's a little much. I'm imagining someone populating their deck with rare candies, basics, and stage twos with no stage ones in between. Yeah, that's what that's exactly what people do. Because I mean, like that's—if you're going to mix that into your deck, that's what you're trying for. You don't want those stage ones to claw your hand because, like, they literally do nothing for you. Yeah, and you don't want to take three turns to get to the point that you need to get to. Yeah, but you are also, of course, putting yourself in a position of you might just brick entirely. Yeah, but still, I think it kind of just—it cheats the own, like, it cheats your own intent in the card game. I think. There's that issue that you run into where, like, you get those mechanics that are designed to keep the game slow, but then to incentivize and to make a card powerful, you have to make it cheat them. Yeah. And that's kind of, like, a problem that every card game sort of runs into. And, I mean, sometimes they run into it harder than others. Like, I mean, there's all those uh, real early magic cards that can never, ever come back, but... Black Lotus. Hey guys, for days. hey guys, let's make a card that lets us play whatever you want, turn one. This seems like a good idea. What could go wrong? <laughs> so it turns out everything. <laughs> Absolutely very everything. A, very much a product of when the people behind Magic thought that it was something where you would buy a main deck and maybe a couple of booster packs to augment <laughs> it to make it more interesting. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops, we accidentally invented invented an entirely new monetization scheme. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, like that sort of thing where it's like, that's kind of the push-pull of like uh, trading card games is that you run into these situations where it's like, well, if we want to entice the players, we have to make the game, the, ca- the card stronger, and if to do that, they have to be faster. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like, it's not like they won't probably cycle out rare candy, at least on occasion. I mean... I'm, yeah, uh, sure. I mean, like, going back to when they put the base set out and they did not think too hard about 
putting in a card that was super common that all it said was draw two cards. <laughs> Bill, Bill, Bill. Uh, you know, that's also why you want to... That's why, even though people don't really like it a lot of the time, because it psychologically doesn't speak to them of, like, we're going to make sh- make it so that everything before this set is illegal. Like, psychologically, people hate that. I mean, yeah. But you have to, because otherwise you run into problems. Yes, of, lots of problems. Of, like, there are thousands and thousands of legal cards that you can't test the interactions of. Yeah. I, if you've, uh... <laughs> what? Uh, Hearthstone took way too long to do to do that, and kind of... I don't want to say they hit the issue of not testing thousands of interactions, but the issue of people were just playing the same powerful things, and the game was kind yeah. of s- stagnating. Because, like, once you hit that point, if they're still legal, you run into this issue of, like, the only way to shake up the metagame becomes to deliberately induce power creep. Right, and that's not good. Because <laughs> then you get into a real runaway train trying yeah. to fix things. I mean, like... So, one of the things that I like to occasionally check in on is I will check in on things that were fads when I was growing up. So, like, I, after about, like, six months ago, I checked in on, hmm, do they still make Yu-Gi-Oh cards? And the answer is yes. And wheels, let me tell you something. That doesn't have set cycling. Oh no. There are nearly oh, no. ten thousand different Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Oh no. <laughs> and who oh, boy. What a metagame that has. Uh, it's fascinating to watch from afar. I don't even know what to don't say about that. <laughs> Like, you'll get into these situations where, like, that game has sped up to the point where, like, Konami routinely has to issue ban lists to stop uh, card combinations that end the game before the first turn is done. <laughs> like, that is the level oh. of, like, what happens when you don't do anything to force, to force the power level of the game down. Yikes. They, they have a list of banned cards, but that list only consists of, like, 50 cards on the outside. That's not good. <laughs> that is not good. <laughs> it's fascinating. I'm sure it is. I would not... Like, how... <laughs> How do you even play that? <laughs> I don't understand. How would you start playing it? How, if you were to say, hmm, I'm going to start playing Yu-Gi-Oh! How would you even approach that? From what I can understand, new player draw is part of the problem, because as far oh, as I can tell... You don't say. Like, the thing is, that the way that they normally draw in new players is that it still has a TV anime that still happens every year. But the thing is, as far as I can tell... Every new anime has to introduce, like, a new mechanic to go with it. <laughs> so, if you, look at the, if you look at the list of possible ways to draw, to get cards onto the field, it's a graveyard of things with very strange names. Like, 
<laughs> you get like, oh, you've got an you can normally summon, or you can fusion summon, or you can synchro summon, or you can XYZ summon, uh... or you can link summon. And ev- oh, you can also pendulum summon. What? And and every time they introduce one of these, they actually have to reformat how the card game is laid out because like a bunch of these actually change the way. It's really fascinating to look at. It's very strange. Wow, I don't even know what to say. I I, I honestly want to watch this because it sounds incredibly fascinating. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll just keep giving you status reports. That's probably for the best. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, truly, truly bizarre, like this list of interactions that they... <laughs> Apparently Konami recently had a problem where, like, one of the cards that they could not get around how detrimental it was to the metagame was also the main character's main card of the most recent anime. <laughs> <laughs> and so they spent a year just beating around the bush trying to avoid having to ban the main character's, like iconic main card and ultimately they just gave up and just banned it outright like, no you cannot use this it is too, I don't care that it's part of marketing it is too destructive <laughs> yeah oh, man. I just love that sort of like the, the kind of thing that shows up when like something exists and it never really goes away but it leaves the public eye, and then you go back and look at it, and it's like, what What happened? <laughs> when did this turn from, like, anime tie-in to card game Lord of the Flies? <laughs> uh, yeah, so... That, that, was, that was my uh, report on other very strange former fad card games. Sweet. So I guess it's time we should check in on Artifact. So, or is that... Do we have to? No, we really don't, because I could care less. <laughs> I'm sorry, Richard Garfield. We don't blame you. No, I blame he Valve. He is apparently directly involved with that one. Uh, so, like I said, we don't blame him. Well, they tried, I think. I don't know. I, I'm sure he tried. Yeah. Not so sure about everyone else. <laughs> well, I just remember that statement you sent me where they like didn't want to change cards or something. Yeah, it was like this... this thing about how like oh well we can't change anything on the cards and like I feel like everyone who does digital card games feels like that at least once because they're terrified of people getting furious at them for changing something after they had already bought it oh. but I mean that's really no different than releasing an errata for a card yeah and here's here's a newsflash people you're not going to get your card game right the first freaking time like you are all you have to you can't not bend on that rule you can't not you have to be willing to break that rule because you will like put out something and not realize how it interacts with some obscure other thing that is still technically allowed yeah and i mean it's not it's not healthy to leave a game and just be like eh, well we'll worry about it when that card finally cycles out <laughs> oh, bad idea <laughs> yeah uh, man, this is, this is turning more into a, part, a card game podcast. I don't know what happened. Uh, do we have any? Is there? We have questions. We got a question we can answer to close this out. Talk about tales. But yeah, let's talk about tales. I feel like we should bring that up just a little bit since we've been <laughs> just dunking on it repeatedly. Poor, poor, terrible tales. 
I uh, mean, it's not terrible. No, it's not terrible. It's just mediocre. I mean, I, I started out my playthrough of Vesperia Definitive. It's fine. <laughs> I was surprised I had forgotten how stiff the game feels. Very, very rigid combo structure. I mean, I had forgotten a bit that, like, oh, you can only chain arts with arts that are, like, a level higher. Unless you're in overlimit mode. And I think in this one you have to be in, like, overlimit mode level 3 before you can just chain every art. Uh. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a fun thing that, like, I remembered reading about the PS3 version and being, uh, so, like, Vesperia's quote-unquote innovation to the battle system was that Overlimit, which had existed since Symphonia, but they turned it into like an actual mechanic where like you get charges of it and you can uh, you can engage higher levels of it. But like most of the benefits are just what you had in like Tales of the Abyss, but split across multiple levels. So like if you went into Overlimit in Abyss, you would get most of what you would get from higher levels of Overlimit in Vesperia, but in Vesperia, you would have to deliberately engage multiple stocks of Overlimit, but it goes up from levels 1 to 4, and one of the things that uh, often showed up on, like, descriptions of what had been changed and improved in the PS3 version was that there were 8 levels of Overlimit, and that is, at best, a mistranslation, and at worst, a grotesque misrepresentation, because in the 360 version, there were 4 limits, levels of Overlimit, and you could stock 4 levels of Overlimit. Hmm. In definitive, there are four limits, uh, four levels of overlimit, and you can stock eight levels of overlimit. But there's no, you don't get, you can't actually use more than four at any given time. You don't get any benefit for using more than. So it's really just a question of how much you're allowed to have at once. Meh. Yeah, I mean, like, the thing that stuck out to me as I played the first couple hours again is how much so like when a game when any piece of media starts it has to prioritize what it wants to tell the tell the consumer about the person who's reading or right or watching or playing has to make clear what it considers to be important information to impart upon and tales of vesperia starts with two things it gives a brief overview of the world which is generally you know pretty decent because it only tells you as much as you need to know there's there's a uh, like it's dangerous to go to the outside world there's these blastia magic things that keep them a lot that uh keep cities safe and uh there's a big divide between the upper and lower uh like upper and lower class in the city you start in and then from there, it spends the next two hours assuring you that the most important thing it wants to tell you is that Yuri is really cool. Totally red. Like, I mean this in the sense of, like, the game is constantly setting up, like, situations for him to be collected while, uh, like, everyone else is a dunce or in chaos. And it's just like, after a while, it's like, please, just let him be a person. <laughs> like it, there's a point where it's just like I get it He's he is cool and aloof and I don't need to get it more <laughs> like <laughs> but we're gonna continue with this like we do the prison break and we do the like the fight with the night, the knights. It's just like there's only so much of that that I actually need. And, like I'm, I haven't gotten much further in it. I mean, I've been very busy with uh, classes, but 
it's just after a while it's just like I get it I get it he's cool Please. he's cool man he's the coolest and like I'm sure that he'll have more character development I know that he does but at the same time it's just like I mean Tales games would be a lot more economical if they, if they weren't built on like this idea that you need to spend two hours making this player <laughs> I take it you haven't started yet, or have not picked it up? Uh, I have not really started yet. The other thing that I feel like is probably worth mentioning, I picked up the Switch version, and it looks fine, and in battle it keeps a decent frame rate, but I'm surprised at how bad the frame rate is for, like, it, like walking around town. It's super mm. inconsistent in a way that I would not have expected of a game that is over 10 years old and was not like exactly the high watermark of 360 technical capability i mean it's a very artistically it's a very nice game but i mean it's not exactly pushing last gen consoles to their limits and we've definitely seen better ports of more technically impressive games to the switch so i'm not sure what's going on with this game's like kind of really jerky inconsistent frame rate in the overworld mm. Bit of a shame. Yeah, that's a big. That's that is a shame. Um, maybe they, maybe it'll be patched. Yeah, I'm hoping it'll be patched. I mean, it's it's not it's not detrimental to the point where it's like a huge problem. It's just like I can look at it and be like, yeah, that's stuttering a lot more than I remember it doing on 360, and a lot more than it seems like it should be. And like, not even for super busy scenes. It's just like, oh, I walked out into one of the, like the. Uh, square of the first town and it's like, huh. I feel like this should be running at higher than like 20 frames a second. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like it's like it's clear that the most optimization went into the battle scenes, which is good. Like those run pretty smooth, but the, yeah, the exploration segments, it's like there's, there's a pretty world here. Please don't take me out of it so much. <laughs> yeah, otherwise, I mean, it's the fine it seems to be a fine version uh and oh yeah the intermixing of newly recorded voice and like 2008 recorded voice is very 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 overt <laughs> <laughs> whoops like, uh the the new the new guy who does yuri's new lines he seems like a good voice actor his voice seems to fit the character reasonably well like, I mean, maybe actually fits it better than Troy Baker's, who's, like, very deep voice, doesn't really fit, like, the game's very baby-faced art style. <laughs> but, I mean, like, the problem is that, like, you will literally, in the first ten minutes, hear a scene where he starts with Troy Baker's voice and ends with the new voice. <laughs> oh, no. And it's just, oh. it sounds terrible. It's just, like... It's not even that either of them is bad. They're both good, doing good jobs with the voice work they're given, but it sounds awful when they switch mid-scene, and you should have just... <laughs> I know that people love Troy Baker's dub. It's good. It's a good voice. It's, it's good voice acting. You should have re-recorded him. Yeah. I mean, you should have done, like... if, if Did you ever play... You played Persona 4 Golden, right? Yeah. You played original Persona 4? Yes. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, because like those that has Chie and Teddy. That like Teddy's new voice sounds a lot like his old voice, but it isn't the same. I didn't even and know they, it wasn't the same. 
Yeah, it's a different voice, but like they didn't intermix. Like even though his new voice sounds a lot like his old voice, they did not intermix. It's entirely new voice work. They've re-recorded all of his lines. Wow. And that was the correct choice because it sounds super like even if like even though they sound so similar, you didn't <laughs> like they they knew that you would hear it a lot more clearly if they had not changed it. <laughs> So yeah, that that kind of hits a sour note. I mean, I guess if you want to listen to it in Japanese, like that'll you'll have completely consistent voice acting. But I like hearing the English dub, so it's a little a little disappointing. Yeah, it sounds like they were stuck between a rock and a hard place and chose to just sit on the rock. Yeah, basically. Oh wait, no, that's I didn't use that right at all today. I don't know. They they just sort of let themselves get smashed instead of. Uh, Losing an arm and on the way of getting yeah. out. But, yeah, it was it was weird. Like it's it's you know I mean it's still like the thing about a Tales of game is that outside of Legendia, which I will continue to shake my fist at, even a bad one is usually just it's fine. Like there's not much right with it, but there's not much wrong with it. But the thing like that's kind of the issue is that it also means that a lot of them don't distinguish themselves that much. So if you're a novelty seeker, it's very easy to get sort of tired of them. Yeah. And Vesperia, to me, like, because it it really has, like, it has a decent cast. It has decent uh, story. But to me, as a work of game design, it is a singularly unambitious game. Mm. Like, it has nothing that it feels like it... it, it it has nothing that it wants to contribute to the idea of Tails' fairly interesting battle system, and I think that's why I tend to give it a hard time. Like, that it is just the Abyss battle system, which was already very strikingly similar to the Symphonia one. I mean, it gave you free run, which was a much bigger innovation than anything that Vesperia does. Yeah, so... I mean, it's Vesperia. If you want to play Vesperia, or if you want to play replay Vesperia, here's your chance. Yep. Yep, yep. Uh, at this point, I'm hoping they give me a portable version of Graces. I'm not going to hold oh, my man. breath. Yeah, I would much prefer a... Like, we're going to get uh, we're gonna get some comments in the Discord about saying that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I would much prefer to replay Graces, which I think generally like there's there's actually someone uh and i i'm not saying this to be rude i'm just saying like to sh- illustrate a difference of uh thought process someone saying that they really hated asbel in uh graces and i actually like asbel quite a bit just because of how much he's a character that's sort of defined by realizing that how badly he'd messed up as a child and never really getting over it yeah which is uh as a person who has spent a great deal of my life uh, grappling with feelings of failure, I could relate to that in a way that I can't to the aloof but cool guy. So, I mean, different strokes, but I, th- I think that uh, Grace is, is really good. And yeah. don't don't bother with the F content; it just makes the game too long. <laughs> <laughs> the Tale series is diverse, and it's okay not to like them all. And yeah. it's okay. I mean, it's, okay it's okay to like any of them, unless that game is Hearts F. Or- not hearts, hearts, you mean? 
I don't really but it's, care. it's also not okay yeah. to like Redendia. Where's yeah. F? The F is for... No. <laughs> we, are still, we are still in iTunes Good Graces. It's fine. <laughs> we are? <gasps> no one told for me. For the week. For the week. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, like... I would like to see Grace's uh, reappear. I think that, like, in general, I just think it's a really appealing game in a lot of ways. So I'd like to see that come back. I just, I, I miss the freeformness of its combat when I'm playing Vesperia. It's like, yeah. when you get to something, when I go back far enough to, like, Symphonia, it's like, oh, well, this is entirely in 2D. I sort of expect this to be a little more rigid. But... I mean, the graphics aren't 2D, but the combat is. But uh, with with uh, Vesperia, it's like, I can run around, but I'm so animation committed on everything. It just feels like I've got a full full half second of delay every time I start attacking. I just don't, just don't feel it. It just doesn't feel right. Whereas, like, with, uh, with, like, Graces, you were very much encouraged to, like, change up your combo like uh, dodge to the side that'll actually increase your capacity gauge you can get more into your combo if you're willing to dart around and really like to not commit to just standing in one place and getting beat on in response to making your combo stand but that's uh, different strokes for different folks <sighs> do we want to hit any more of these questions uh, I think we can save the rest for next week Okay. Alright. Uh questions, usual place, comments, some I'm rambling a lot now. <laughs> questions in the usual place, aka the comments of this most recent episode. Uh we will do our best to be vigilant in not just disgenerating the tangents, but I mean I needed to get some thoughts on Vesperia off yeah, my chest, sorry. so I apologize. And you are welcome to make fun of my black and white utter failure. <laughs> Everyone do that. It's I, really good. I swear, I tried that gym like ten times. I'm like, am I? Do I just need to grind here? What's going on? You know, type effectiveness. I'm surprised your first thought wasn't get something that. I do, but it was just like, well, the only thing I've run into is like all these boring things, and uh, I, I guess it's just to get some more normal types. I guess I don't know. Uh, well, rip. And then when that guy handed me the mic, I'm like, oh, for the love of God. <laughs> I could have been so much farther by now. <laughs> Think of what you could have had. Uh, but yeah, I mean, next next week, the only thing that I will be, uh, I will have that I do not have now is something that isn't an RPG, and therefore I won't be allowed to discuss it here. With, oh, Resident Evil. No, that's two weeks from now. Next week is Travis Strikes Again. No, Resident Evil's 22nd, man. Balls! <laughs> okay, no, no. Like, the, the a week from when we record this is the 21st. It will not quite be here yet. Okay, I won't be able to okay. talk about it. Fair, fair. Very fair. And then, like, less than a week after that is Kingdom Hearts 3. Yay. I'll die. I'm, I'm doing a weird thing with that. What are you doing? i got to play it on X-Bone. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't have a lot of space left on my PS4 hard drives. 
So oh, concessions kind of have to be made at this point. Well, clearly you have to get an Xbox One X, the most powerful console ever. <laughs> I mean, I have uh, like a 2.5 uh, terabyte PS4 hard drive too, and it is almost full. And have I you have considered deleting all... old games? I have <laughs> deleted a bunch of stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know either. How? I don't know. I'm surviving on the stock 500 gig. I don't even know how you're uh, managing this. It's not like you bought, like, 12 copies of Red Dead Redemption 2. No, I have zero copies of Red Dead. That game has an entire disc that's just an install disc. That's ridiculous. That's, that's how you live. Yeah. This list of... I like how this list of things that people also search for for Kingdom Hearts 3's release date also includes Devil May Cry 5. What? Listen, if you like the action uh, game, Yeah, I guess. But yeah, I mean, that game's out a week from Friday. Kingdom Hearts 3, not that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that the, uh... 26th? 25th. 25th? Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I still have to make a decision on whether or not I'm actually buying Resident Evil 2 at launch. So we shall see. I'm, I think I'll be able to manage by the skin of my teeth. Nice. <sighs> but hey, no more heroes. Yeah. Someone else buy that, please. <laughs> the game does not fail miserably. I will buy it at some point, hopefully. I, and I will pay full price. Whatever I have That's to very... do. And you could you could also just get the eShop version, which is only twenty five. Yeah. Yeah. What? So like the idea is that if you get the physical version, you're also getting the season pass for all the DLC, uh... and that's why that version is forty. Okay. Yeah, I may just grab that at launch then. That's that's I I think I can throw that on there. Okay. Shit. <laughs> oh crap. Oh crap. <laughs> oh crap. <laughs> Uh, well, now that uh, that's happened, <laughs> now that we have successfully achieved our M rating, zero <laughs> D, uh, we will see you next week when we will begin our the Pokemon Liberation. Wow! <laughs> see you, Space Cowboys. <laughs> oh God, where the hell is the end button? End it.